funny how? It'd be funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you. just here at the silver screen video because honestly it hasn't been quite the month the silver screen video uh it's been quite the month in the world you know we saw tom brady retire we saw um very open-minded highly intelligent rarely incorrect joe rogan getting condemned um <laughs> right it's been crazy i don't know it's just what, what do you think about this month what is it's been a little weird you know i'll tell you it has been it's been a it's been a wild 2022 here's what i think's going on I think that the pandemic is functionally over, right? Like it, it, it is essentially over. There's no new variants on the horizon, you know. Are you trying to take the mantle from Joe Rogan right now? <laughs> oh, man, I wish. Next thing you're going to be saying, guys, you don't have to get vaccinated if you're healthy. <laughs> yeah, I'd do anything for that Spotify deal, brother. I'm selling my soul on the black market. Oh, I agree. Um, oh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, no, I think the pandemic is is basically over functionally and uh i think it's there's like there's like a bunch of news stories or a bunch of crazy shit going on to like keep keep us redlining you know what i mean whether it's about joe rogan or the war in the ukraine it's like you know these are all like like uh fidget spinners they're all like busy boxes to try to keep us uh you know entertained and i don't mean like they you know quote unquote are trying to keep us entertained i mean we all are trying to keep ourselves, you know, on that uh, pandemic high. And so it's like Rogan, Ukraine, uh, Brady's retirement, you know, like it's, it's, it's uh, going to keep ourselves busy, man. You know, we don't, we don't want to, we don't want to like do any self-reflection or anything, you know? I mean, at least I certainly don't. Yeah, no, um, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm baffled. You know, because there's a mixture of emotions, especially when you look at Tom Brady walking away. Mm-hmm. You know, I just watched Jackass. So that was a whole thing. You know, 22 years mm-hmm. showing old clips, the passage of time. You know, who knows, guys? Who knows? Crazy world out there. Crazy world. All I know is um, we're here. We're here and we'll always be here. Like a comforting grandmother. The silver screen video like a uh like like liam neeson in the gray like as you you know shuffle off this mortal coil either by russian nuclear bomb or by coronavirus or by just self-induced heart disease <laughs> will be here whispering about movies uh to you till the very end i don't want to nitpick what you just said but I feel like all heart disease is self-induced. That's not true. I mean, 99% of it. Mm, I wouldn't even say that. You know, the heart is built to wear out. Sometimes it just wears the fuck out, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. I see. So no one should be held accountable for what they put in their body. No, no, no. I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying if you're like 70 years old or you're 75 years old, it's like, you know, like sometimes they just wear the fuck out, man. Like sometimes the heart just fucking fails. I mean, well, I'm not going to touch that one. So anyway, what um, do you mean you're not going to touch that one. I got a thing with old people. I don't want to talk about it. Oh, Jesus uh, Christ. Why, do you, why do you always have to ruin shit with your fucking <laughs> weird beliefs? You know, why can't, why can't we just have a nice, pleasant conversation? Uh, nothing about anything we've been talking about has been pleasant. Like, I'll be like, you were talking about nuclear bombs and heart disease. Like, I'll be like, man, like, man, like I just had a bowl of lucky charms and you'll be like, don't get me started on the Irish. And I'll just feel like, okay, you know what? Never mind. I just want to, well, I love the Irish, but lucky charms, the marshmallows do have gelatin in them. So maybe you shouldn't eat them. (sighs) Let's just talk about movies. I can't talk to you about anything but movies. Guys, this is the, the, uh, the host that you you tolerate Jonathan and Jacob. Aside from all the nonsense we've been discussing, how's it going over at, over at NYC, the Big Apple? It's good, man. It's starting to warm up. You know, it's starting to seriously. Yeah, we're moving from you know we're moving from like uh, you know ten degrees and fifteen degrees. We're moving up into the the forties, which is very nice. Is that normal, or does that mean the world is dying? Well, I think both. Um, you know, but. 
but yeah, no, it's pretty normally since I've been here, you know, like, uh, like the, the actual, like very, very cold, you know, 10 degree days, you know, usually only last during January, you know? Okay. Okay. Well, it's good to know weather report from New York guys. Um, <laughs> today we are starting an adventure. It's an adventure that we have discussed on the podcast a couple of times. We've discussed it off the podcast a couple of times. I can't promise you how long this adventure is going to last, but we are going to start the journey of dealing with a what? What did you say they were called? Vulgar auteurist. Yeah, yeah, I think I'm actually Googling it right now. Joe Carnahan, vulgar autourism, because, you know, we've talked about it on the podcast before, but vulgar autourism is, you know, a kind of critical idea that was fashionable maybe about 10 years ago, but it's it's kind of uh, become just a received truth, honestly, of like, you know, some of these uh, vulgar genres, like the action movie and the you know, well, I guess mainly the action movie, you know, has uh, some uh, hardworking uh, and artistically interesting auteurs uh, who work in that genre uh, in the, the the poverty row of 21st century cinema. And uh, I don't know if Joe Carnahan, I think Joe, Harnick, Joe Carnahan comes up in those conversations, but I, I don't know for sure. I'm looking at it right now, actually. No, he absolutely does. Joe Carnahan's an interesting filmmaker, not just for the projects he's done and his style, but for the projects he's lost as well. Mm. When you look at his filmography, for me, I've seen all of his movies except for Blood, Guts, Bullets, and Octane. His, his, his directorial debut came out in 1998. You can buy the DVD. I'm sure you can pirate it. I have not tried. I've never seen it. But when you look at the rest of his films, he's really only made what I would consider to be one bad movie. Uh, which one's that? And that is, that's Boss Level, which okay. was a movie that should have been great because it's a time loop movie where Frank Grillo, his production partner, stars and Mel Gibson plays the bad guy and Naomi Watts is in it. It should have been great, and I'll tell you the reason it's so crazy, especially now, because today, guys, we're talking about Narc and The Grey, which are separated by uh, nine years. When you look at his style, the grit, the like, it's 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 very typically very muted colors, gray things like that. Boss level embraced the video game aspect of what they were trying to do. So when I first read about Boss Level in 2018, I was super excited. And I was like, this movie is right up his alley. This is perfect. Then it got delayed. It finally got made in 2020, and it just got released last year. And it was terrible. It really was. They put it on Hulu. I was really disappointed in it. I thought it was going to be fun, considering he always delivers with the fun. Mm -hmm. And it was pretty bland. Uh, then his most recent film, Cop Shop, was fantastic. Frank Grillo, Gerard Butler, it was it was great. So he still has it. He just kind of missed on boss level. But when you return to his roots with Narc, especially Narc, dude, this guy, I'm sorry, to be to be his second movie, but his first real Hollywood movie starring Jason Patrick and Ray Liotta. I mean, we could we could technically say this is his real directorial debut. And like I told you off pod, I feel like Narc is probably one of the best cop movies of the 21st century and one of the best undercover cop movies I've ever seen. It's it's just so, it was so fucking good. I could not believe revisiting. It's been a few years since I watched it. But um, anyway, back to your original thing, which I feel like I got off of. Yeah, I do think he, do people like him and Roland Emmerich, to a certain extent, um, What's the, I can't, uh, Verhoeven? Oh, definitely um, Verhoeven, yeah. Yeah. But, but the, the weird thing about Verhoeven is he'll give you RoboCop and Starship Troopers, and then he'll give you, like, Benedetta, which is weird. Yeah, Verhoeven uh, barely counts as a vulgar autorist. You know what I mean? Uh, like, he, Carnahan's a true vulgar autorist in the sense that most people probably don't take him seriously, but Verhoeven has crossed over. Like, he, you know what I mean? Like, he he's crossed over from vulgar into autorist, you know? 
Yeah. Now, what was your experience with Carnahan before? I know you've seen NARC, and I know you've seen The Gray. We've talked about The A-Team. You like that movie more than me. I won't say it's a bad movie, but it was a miss for me. But, like, have you seen most of his films? Like, I've seen, uh, it looks like he's done one, two, three, four, five, six, seven movies. I've seen four of them. Uh, Which four have you seen aside from A-Team and these two? Uh, Smoke and Aces. You made me watch okay. that, actually. Um, Didn't I give you NARC and Smoke and Aces? Well, that's what's interesting is that uh, you gave me NARC and Smoke and Aces to watch. And I remember, uh, actually, I don't know if you gave me NARC. I think maybe you told me about NARC, and I maybe got it through Netflix or something. I don't remember. But um, either way, I remember watching them in high school or or shortly thereafter. And because uh, I think Smoke and Aces was 2006. And, um, you know, I like them enough, but I've kind of uh, categorized these movies as, uh, in the past, I should say, my, my initial watch. Uh, I like them, but I've kind of categorized them as like uh, Jonathan movies <laughs> because they're like, I feel like they're a, a genre of movie that's... Uh, post Tarantino and post uh, seven where they're and also post Requiem for a dream. I think those are three kind of touch points of 90 cinema that got a lot of imitations, right? Uh, Tarantino is obvious, you know, smokiness is, is an obvious uh, Tarantino. I, I don't want to say rip off cause that's, that's mean, uh, but it's, uh, you know, obviously a, an influence by, uh, Tarantino and also uh, the kind of grittiness of Seven is something that really caught on and there was a lot of movies like that. And I think Narc um, you know uh, gets a little bit of, of influence from that and uh, Requiem for a Dream not so much in content or form but in style that was the kind of it became a critical trope in the 90s to be like uh, wow, the MTV music videos of like the early '90s are starting to cross over into like mainstream entertainment with like fast cutting and and that kind of thing. And I think Aronofsky and Requiem for a Dream is probably one of the first uh, people to make movies like that, and stylistically with the fast editing and all that kind of thing. And that shows up in Narc a lot too. So I kind of categorize these as movies that like were your kind of thing, but not really my kind of thing, because I think your experience of them was you were kind of coming of age as a cinephile at that time. Whereas I was, I was focused backwards, right? Like during that time I was watching almost nothing new or that had came out in the past five years. And I was catching up on a lot of classics that I'd never seen, right. That you probably saw when you were a kid, like, you know, John Ford movies and John Wayne and Casablanca and shit like that. I was watching a lot of that shit for the first time where I think you were watching newer stuff at the time, like with your brother. And so these movies will never hit as hard for me as they do for you. And I think that's probably why, but that doesn't take away from the fact that, uh, that narc is good, but, but that, that is my history with Carnahan. And then of course, when I, th I think I saw the a team actually, um, with my dad just randomly i had no idea who carnahan was and um it was one of those blockbuster movies that it's like you go see with your family because it's like what's good or what's on you know what's what's showing and i'd watched the a-team as a kid and i generally liked the movie but then when the gray come out that's when i think carnahan started to enter the vulgar autorist conversation because uh ignatius vishnovitsky uh had written on uh the, the movie notebook, which used to be called The Auteurs, uh, he had written really, really great essay that I reread for this uh, episode about the gray and uh, kind of inducted Carnahan into the vulgar auteurist canon. And then I forgot Joe Carnahan existed, really, because I don't, none of his movies after that really got any attention, either mainstream or from the kind of vulgar auteurist people. And so I, I kind of lost track of his career. So I was really happy when you picked him uh, to go back and watch a couple of these movies, his early work and maybe his uh, his peak. And then it made me want to go watch uh, the movies of his that I haven't seen because he, he really is a, uh, a a good director. Well, you know, I, I don't I don't know what kind of caused him 
to, to I, I know what caused him to kind of fall off a little bit because he was had trouble getting funding. Mm. Like nobody saw Stretch in 2014. I thought it was great. I thought it was fun. Nobody saw it. The gray, I remember either broke even or flopped. I know the A team flopped. Smoking Aces for when I remember flopped. So I mean, he did. He directed a lot of TV in between, and that's why it took Boss Level so long to get off the ground. And him and Frank Grillo, who I'm a big fan of, and the gray. If I remember correctly, the gray actually introduced me to Frank Grillo. Mm. He plays. He plays the. Um, the not the he he starts off as like the the antagonist, but then he ends up being fine. You know, the guy that was trying to fight with Liam Neeson because mm-hmm. that was a big year for him because he also played in Warrior that came out in 2011. So that was a great one two punch for his career because right. Warrior was fantastic. Great fucking movie, um, by the way. Yeah, great. So I can understand why he kind of fell off. And, and and I watched Cop Shop late last year when it came out. And it was so fun and so cool. Felt like a 70s throwback. Didn't make a lot of sense. They weren't really interested in making sense. Wait, which one is this again? Narc? No, Cop Shop. Oh, sorry, Cop Shop sorry. is the one that came out last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so that, that co-stars Frank Grillo, Gerard Butler. Oh, right, right, right. Um, and, and then it's like, I can understand, though, when I look at this movie. Also, I had a great performance from a, an actress I wasn't too familiar with called Alexis Louder. Mm. She was fantastic. Um, Probably the best part of the movie, next to Gerard Butler. But I can understand why he doesn't appeal to a lot of people in terms of finding a mainstream audience because he he has kind of changed his style. He he you don't really see a lot of the gray or narc or even smoking aces for that matter, whenever you watch Boss Level or Cop Shop. And I don't know if he's you know, sometimes filmmakers change their style to become they 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 to adapt more to be able to get funding or to be able to be flexible for studios. You got to do what you got to do to work. Right. Right. Um, because honestly, when I look at NARC and the gray, those two movies, you know, in the span of 10 years, uh, that's they're They're both. I, I think they're probably NARC's probably his best movie, but I wouldn't argue with you if you said the gray was his best movie. Well, what is interesting to me is I think you hit on something. You know, one of the cornerstones of kind of a tourist, um, an tourist lens to view, to view, you know, cinema and film history through, is the consistency in style or subject matter. Uh, you know, through a director's filmography, and so, you know, vulgar tourist has come to kind of be known as like uh, more than meets the eye. You know, like, hey, this guy's not just a hack. He's actually good. Like the difference between uh, someone like McGee and Zack Snyder, you know? But like, yeah, when you think about it, it, like the term as it, the classical meaning of the term is a kind of, you know, consistency, like as far as, you know, like I said, subject matter or style. And you're right, that doesn't really exist in Carnahan's work. And so it's kind of hard to get a read on him. Like, I know he's a very capable director uh but like i'm I'm, you know it's it's he's just had such a kind of troubled career i mean i'm just looking right now right so blood guts bullets and octane premiered at sundance okay so he 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 starts out as kind of like a a cult you know indie director in the late 90s right um and then he goes right into narc and then he was uh attached to Mission Impossible 3, which, you know, was probably going to be his, like, mainstream breakthrough. And then, you know, that fell apart because of conflicting views on the tone of the film. Like, I'm sure he, you know, conflicted with Tom Cruise. and um, that. I w- I'll be honest with you. I would have rather seen his tone on Mission Impossible 3 than what we got. That's just me. Oh, I would have loved to. I mean, don't get me wrong. I like Mission Impossible 3. I like most of the movies in the series. But, dude, it would have been incredible to see him take a big swing at a, at a series like that, you know, um, it would have been great. But then he also had a movie about a drug dealer named Will Wright, who was abandoned. And then of course he did smoke and aces. He was going to do a James Elroy novel with George Clooney, but then Clooney pulled out of that. Um, he was going to make a movie with Jason Bateman for universal, but that never happened. 
you know, he was going to direct an adaptation of Preacher. That never happened. And then he was uh, one of the executive producers on the NBC show The Blacklist for a while, which kind of took him out of uh, production. And then there was like a Mark Miller comic. And like there was a number of different things. That project was the one I was most excited about. That Mark Miller graphic novel is called Nemesis. Mm. And he would have nailed the tone of that. But as far as I know, it's still being kicked around. And maybe with all this Batman love, it'll happen. But uh, he he probably won't be the guy doing it. But he would have killed it. Yeah, I mean, it like basically his career has been a kind of just uh, never got really off the ground, which is kind of shocking for a guy who's made you know seven or eight movies. But it really it's hard to get a, it, it's hard to like talk about him in this context. Like it's it's much easier to talk about the individual movies because it's like I don't know what Carnan is. I know he's he's good and he's competent because it really takes someone who knows what the fuck they're doing to make something like the gray. But other than that, I I almost kind of don't know what else to say about him or don't know what else to even think about him really, you know? Yeah. I mean, no, that, that, I mean, that, that's why he's kind of an enigma. Yeah. So, so let's kind of jump into narc and also I'll say about smoking aces. Yeah. I don't, I don't agree. I know you backtrack on the word ripoff. I think that it's not even remotely close to some of films that I would consider ripoffs in a post Pulp Fiction era. Sure. Uh, if anything, it was heavily influenced. But in my opinion, he had already showed the world his style uh, with with Blood, Guts, Bullets, and Octane and Narc. Because I've never seen the movie, but I've seen a lot of clips from that and Narc before we got to Smoke and Aces. So it was gritty. It was wacky, kind of zany shit with Tarantino. He never really got into that crazy realm. He would always do obviously sure. fantastic writing, but it always stayed grounded. The reason Smoke and Aces appealed to me so much is because it was such a chaotic movie, mm. a chaotic movie that made next to no fucking sense. Right. And, and that's why it was great. I mean, you're talking about a movie where uh, Kevin Durand, you know, lays on his own chainsaw. It was beautiful. I mean, it's right. just, it's so good. Yeah, and that, that's fair. I, I don't mean to, uh, I, I feel like, um, I, I, you know, like I said, I don't, I don't mean to rip off or whatever, but it's just, uh, it, 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 like, it's just the Tarantino influence was prim- primarily consisted of, of, uh, of uh, irony, I think, bringing a level of irony and humor to a, a, basically a crime movie that um you know uh was kind of overtly comedic uh in ways that that didn't really exist previously you know yeah so no i don't i don't mean to say it was a rip off but it was just i mean tarantino's finger like i said tarantino fucking fincher with seven and aronofsky and requiem for a dream like the fingerprints of those movies were all over all kinds of movies from the mid nineties to the early two thousands, like both good and bad. Right. Like it, I don't mean that to be like a blanket statement of like ripoff. It's just like, you know, it was just the, the lingua franca of the times. Everybody was making those kinds of movies, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. It was definitely the style. Yeah. Um, so, so with NARC, you kind of get a, a, by the numbers to a certain degree, which I feel like it's impossible to to escape that uh, in terms of an undercover cop movie. But the reason I think Nart kind of sets a different tone is because the movie opens up with, and for those of you that haven't seen Nart, it, it came out in 2002, stars Jason Patrick Reliota, and basically a, a trail goes cold on a murder investigation of a cop, and uh, this undercover Nart uh, kind of uh, gets... He says he'll get a debt. They tell him he'll get a desk if he helps solve it. He has a team up with Ray Liotta to solve it because it was his it was his partner, ex-partner. So so with this movie, you kind of get told up front like this is not about Jason Patrick's journey as a narc. This isn't Donnie Brasco Mm -hmm. like this is Jason Patrick's already been exposed. Some tragic shit went down and they have to lure him back in. By being like, we'll give you a desk. We know you're a dad now. All that shit. We'll give you a desk if you just help us solve this case because it's a it's a dead cop. We got to fucking figure this out. Yeah, this is a one, so, this is a one last job situation. Yeah. So so we we pair him with Ray Liotta, 
And I mean, dude, this movie is brutal. Like when you look at the time it was made, like there weren't like this was NYPD blue on steroids, Mm -hmm. like in terms of shaky cam violence, the way people talk, just the way it dealt with, with calls they would get and just kind of show you this some minor level crimes, drugs, uh, selling guns. Like it was a really, it kind of pushed you into this underworld and kind of just left you there and and just kind of let you absorb everything. And, uh, I, I, I fucking love, even now rewatching it. I've seen it probably 10 times over the years. It's still fantastic, man. I I don't know. I I think I may like this movie more than you, but I mean, I just, Ray Liotta is just so good. Yeah. I definitely think you like this movie more than me, although I don't dislike it by any means. I, I think it's really good. The problem for me is, and this isn't even necessarily a problem, it's, I feel like it feels very dated, which is like completely fine. Like it's, you know, like a, a set, like I've heard people compare this to a William Friedkin movie and, you know, guess what? William Friedkin movies look like they took place in the seventies, which is because they did, you know, like, yeah, it's, like yeah. It, it's, it's completely fine for it to be dated, but it's, it's dated to an era that I'm not particularly fond of or have an affinity for if that makes sense like it it, it's like one of the reasons why i stopped watching the shield right because it's like it's like that early 2000s like kind of uh uh popular metal you know it's like when 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 like not metal but like it's like when rock music kind of started trying to be like uh like popular like like dark hair metal and rap rock like you know the kind of soundtracks like that and uh that 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 kind of environment i just have like next to no nostalgia for but i think this is elevated this definitely is elevated above the kind of movies like this at the time and i think it's elevated above it for a couple of reasons one of them is the performances especially ray liotta who is going all the fuck in like this guy he's leaving nothing on the table or in this movie like he is uh just balls to the wall and also like what elevates it i think a little bit is just the quality of the action scenes like this man knows how to shoot action you know and the chase scene at the beginning like for instance the chase scene at the beginning like i was kind of annoyed by the screaming and the like all the chaos and whatever but then like the scene like won me over towards the end because he uses like the rhythm of editing and the handheld camera work to make it like a really good scene. You know what I mean? There, there are a thousand scenes like that and a thousand movies from that time period. But this one, because of the quality of the performances and the quality of the camera work has a very unique power. uh, And it's just really effective. You know what I mean? It's similar to the A-Team in my mind. I'm although I think this is a better movie, but it's like, I like the A-Team because, like, he took a shitty remake, like a G.I. Joe movie, essentially, and he made it fun and entertaining and well-cast. And it's like, that, to me, is exactly what this movie is, but it's obviously better than the A-Team. Yeah. Well, one of my favorite things about the beginning, the opening chase scene, is after the guy stabs the pedestrian Mm. with the needle with poison, he then goes, he grabs the kid, and the desperation, like you, you've been on this chase now, you don't really know what's going on, but you know well enough to know like this kid's a bad guy, this guy's a cop, blah, blah, blah. So the desperation, by the time we get to the culmination of this chase scene, when Patrick, Jason Patrick thinks he's going to stab that kid mm. and he just rattles off those shots because that's how the pregnant woman ends up getting shot. Um, but I thought I, I've always loved that because it kind of embraces the recklessness because under no circumstances would a cop ever rattle off shots like that, like in public around people. But we kind of felt that desperation because he thought that guy was about to needle that kid and it would have killed him, obviously killed her. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. It's like like if you describe this scene to me without seeing it, you'd be like, OK, well there's a woman crying and a pregnant woman gets shot and the the guy stabs the thing. And it's like, well, that sounds very, that all sounds very busy and chaotic. Right. But like, because of the handheld camera work and because of Patrick's 
uh, leading man performance, like you feel the panic, you know what I mean? Like you feel, and the, the heavy breathing, you know, which is, which is on the soundtrack, you know, it's like really, it's mixed really high. You know, you can hear, uh, his, his breathing, you know, as he's chasing this guy and you can, you can really feel this visceral sense of panic. So like it, when, when Patrick starts screaming at the end, you know, and it kind of cuts, it has a hard cut to, you know, the rest of the movie. It, it really is like the, it's like a climax, you know, and he's not just screaming. He's screaming the word help. It, 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 he starts out, it's like, oh, he's like, he's screaming. And then he turns this like guttural howl into the word help. It's just like, oh, it, it, it's really effective, man. Like it, it really is. And like, I, if I'm, if I'm talking about it in couch, you know, terms or like, you know, I, the only reason is because like, these are not the kind of movies I vibe with at all. Like I said, this is like why I stopped watching the shield. Cause I was just like, I don't want to watch 13 hours of thick Mackey yelling at people and like rap metal playing in the background. And like, you know, like it's just, the vibes are off for me personally, but you cannot deny the level of craft here and the level of performance and, and well, yeah, I guess the level of craft, that's, that's the best way I could put it, you know? First off, only a fool gives up on Vic Mackey. Okay. <laughs> well, Second hey, man, off, put me in the corner and slap a dunce cap on me, brother. I create some funny mental yeah. image. Uh, <laughs> so want to, that is <laughs> I <laughs> too far. I'm sorry. I, I, I will say as much as it pains me, um, to 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 say anything remotely disparaging against that style and and especially when we're talking about the shield, I will say that I have been told several times by people uh, throughout the years that I've suggested the shield to and, and thing and this is I mean obviously this is very much in the shield's wheelhouse mm, right. of of style and noise and chaos. Uh, it's not it's not for certain people. I get that. Well, and completely. also the shield is like. Hours and hours and hours. You know what I mean? It works better in a yeah. movie, I think, than, than in the, or, you know, for people who aren't kind of tuned into that frequency. Um, it can get very grating. There are certain shows that I like that, like, my wife will occasionally watch with me, but she can't watch very much of it because of how, like, anxiety-inducing they are. Yeah. And like, when, when you think about it, the, uh, the, the even The Shield, right, was not meant to be binge-watched. It was meant to be watched in... 45 minute installments broken up by commercials on every week, you know, like, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And then, and seasons separated and, and all that shit. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah, that, that's, that's a, yeah, that's something we, we both agree on that we've talked about on, on this, on this show several times. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I understand this isn't for everybody. I just think when you look at narc, there is enough heart yeah. and kind of calmness at certain parts where you kind of get to spend some time with Jason Patrick as a father and with Ray Liotta as someone who's just trying to cover up this embarrassment, yeah. this potential embarrassment for a man and his family. Yeah. And I think the culmination of which is fantastic. The end hits so hard because you like as a viewer, 90% of people that watch this are assuming Ray Liotta is dirty. Right, of course. And yeah. Ray Liotta is the one that did it. And with the movie kind of flips it, not only does it flip it, it doesn't flip it in a contrived way. Right. It flips it in a way of like, this is totally believable because of the situation that has been laid out very clean by flashbacks and retelling of the story. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing I've always thought this movie nailed that some cop movies kind of miss. Some cop movies play more into tropes opposed to trying to give like a sincere real like situation at the end of it. Right. It's uh it, that was also a trope at the time. Usual suspects type thing, right? Like where, yeah, yeah. where the twist ending, Shyamalan and all that. You know, that was that was also a trope at the time. And you know, I feel like I was I feel like I was like like I was like, okay, well, Aurelio is a bad guy, shocker. And then when it turns out he's not the bad guy, he's trying to cover up, up the, the the killing for different reasons or whatever. Like, it's like, oh, like, it, it's a really effective kind of twist ending. Like, even to call it a twist, it's, like, not really completely fair. Like, it, you know, he earns it. Like, he earns the ending. It's like, yeah, like, that's, that's I don't know. Like I said, I feel like I'm, I'm 
I'm damning it with faint praise, but I, I really mean that like this is this is a movie that is not made for me, right? Like this is this is a movie with an aesthetic and a and a um a tone that is just really kind of antithetical to what I like about movies and and that kind of thing. But I can't like you cannot deny the craft. You cannot deny the fact that this is a good script, this is a good director, these are good performances, like this is this is this is the bare minimum. I've talked about this before, like with, with regards to Dune. This is the bare minimum for crime movie. Every there's no reason for every crime movie and every like shitty action movie to not be this good, right? Like it's it's just craftsmanship on its most basic level, and it's really effective. Like you were talking about some of the heartfelt moments. I mean, you know how hard it is to like oversell that shit and to like make it like cloying and annoying and like okay, can we get back to the action? Never does that. It's remarkably. I can't believe I'm using this word to describe this movie, but in those moments, it's it's remarkably subtle, right? Like when he goes home and lays in the bed, and she's there with the kid. Like it's th- there's not a lot going on there. It's just like the camera stays still, and it's just kind of on the performance. It's really it's a really well directed movie. And and one more thing I will say because I think we both probably have more to say about the gray. And obviously, this movie is a bit more cut and dry than the gray sure, is. Yeah. I like the fact that they didn't play into the like the uh, the wife trope. Like yeah. we know why she is mad. We know why she is annoyed. Right. Like it's very clear she should be worried yes. about his mental well being, physical well being, etc. He he escaped by the skin of his teeth last time, but still ended up with something tragic happening, just not to him. Right. So when he's trying to sell her, no, this is it. Like, and then I get a desk. Like, of course she's having trouble buying it. And then he ends up in the fucking hospital, which only adds insult to injury, so to speak. So, yeah, that's, yeah, no, it's great because like, it, it, like you can see, like, so we've talked about that so many times in cop movies where it's like the wife just is complaining for no reason. You know, like, you know, and it's like, could, could you really, you couldn't you know, you couldn't have her do anything else, you know, in this movie other than just bitch at her husband, you know? And like, it's so good because it's like her, I don't even think she says this stuff, but like, you're thinking it through from her perspective of like, why would you believe them? Cause they're going to give you a desk. You know what I mean? Is that written down somewhere? Like, is, is there a contract? Like, why would you believe them? And like, also like, Let's say that's true and you're going to get a desk at the end of it. Who's to say you're not going to die before you get that desk job, you know, like, or you're going to be addicted to, you know, smack or, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's really understandable her perspective on it. And also, I also love how another trope is, uh, you know, the, the cop who is bad, who lives outside the rules, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's obviously one of the oldest tricks in the book. But Ray Liotta makes you believe that this man is this man is black pilled, right? That this man is has given up. Like he he literally is like, my wife left me, and that made me a fucking better cop, right? Like, or wait, does his wife leave him or does his wife die? Am I getting my movies mixed she, up? She dies. Right, right, right. Yeah, he's like, my wife died, and it makes me a better cop because now I don't give a fuck, and it's like that's effective. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's, that's a, because of the writing and because of their performance, that's a really effective version of that trope. Like he just doesn't give a fuck anymore. He's willing to do whatever it takes. He's got nothing left to lose. And that to me is really, uh, you know, along with the intensity that Leota brings to the role, it's really incredible. I think now, since I've watched these two movies so closely together, you have me questioning whether she left him or whether she died. I don't remember. I, don't, I, I thought she died. I'm 99% sure she died. I see. I thought she left him and I thought, but, but I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter. The point is he's like, I don't have a wife anymore. And it made me a fucking better cop. Cause I don't give a fuck anymore. Like <laughs> it just, it's awesome. Yeah. I, I, I love that. Cause it makes me think of like, like another movie that did it really well was gone, baby gone with Ed Harris. Right. Right. When when Ed Harris is like he doesn't give a fuck, right? That Casey Affleck just blew that guy's brains out while he was crawling on the floor, right? He's like he hurt a child. You did the right thing. You put him down. Yeah. And Casey Affleck, the the Catholic boy, is on the corner like, oh god, I murdered somebody, right? Anyway, uh, so yeah, uh, Narc is great. Guys, watch it. It's fantastic. I think it's on Hulu. Uh, that's where I watched it. Let's talk about the gray. This movie hit. <laughs> so fucking hard. I'll tell you, I went and saw this 
when I was living in Alaska when it came out. And I expected, I was like, hey, it's a Liam Neeson Wolf movie. Like, Carnahan directed it, but I mean, I didn't like the A-Team. I don't really know what to expect from this movie, but it's Liam Neeson. And apparently they're fighting wolves from the trailer. <laughs> right. Um. So you watch this movie and it's like he tricked you. He tricked you by getting you in the door with this weird B movie plot line about wolves stalking these guys after a plane crash. And then he just kicks you in the face with what it means to be alive and lose someone and struggle with grief and so many emotions and it's like fuck you carnahan because this was supposed to be a wolf movie yeah what, what did you think about this movie i know you like it I, I dude i i i've not seen this movie since i saw it in theaters and which i don't know why and yeah probably the same reason probably you haven't seen michael clayton since it was in theaters because i think this is a michael clayton situation where like i watched it in theaters and i was like oh that's a good that's a good action movie i really like that and then i just never thought about it again for like a decade Right. And watching it now, it's the Michael Clayton thing where it's like this movie is so much better than we initially thought it was or than I initially thought it was. And I'm saying we as like just the culture in general, like I'm ready to put this up. This is one of the best movies of the 21st century. This is certainly one of the best action movies of the 21st century. This movie, you're right. It's a it's a switcheroo. Like you think you're getting a wilderness survival tale where Liam Neeson fights wolves. And what we get instead is a movie that is essentially meditation. That word gets overused, but this is a movie that is a meditation about death and about ways to die and how to die. And that, that literally is what the movie is about. It is about death death is its primary topic and god damn man i don't even know where to start with this fucking movie dude i I, like this movie is so 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 good like i can't even i don't know i don't know where to start man like (laughs) well i mean the movie it's on on its surface you can call it like a man versus nature movie right but to some degree, it is man versus nature. Sure. I remember watching this and then talking to people afterwards, and they're like, wolves don't get that big. Wolves don't really hunt you like sure. that. Right. And it's like, what What the fuck? Just, what, why'd you even fucking watch the movie? Right. What the fuck does that even mean? Right. So I, I, that, that part got annoying because I, obviously I, I, when I watched it in Alaska, I talked to a lot of people who had a lot of encounters with wolves and stuff, and I had to hear a lot of that. And it's like, that wasn't the point of the movie. Right point of the movie wasn't for you to walk away thinking you've just learned about wolves. Right. They, they um, might as well not be wolves. They might they, like, they could be fucking, uh, who's he? What's he's like, <laughs> well, the reason the wolf works is because a, it, they live where they landed, where sure, they crash sure. and B they hunt in packs, right. which is kind of important for the movie. Um, but like they're functionally like, like just monster, you know, like it reminded me of the wolves and lady in the water. Like they're functionally just, fucking fairy tale monsters right that are just uh uh like you know the the only reason they're not supernatural beings is because this is not a horror movie right like it's they don't look real they don't like the point is they are like a metaphor for death death it like when these men get in this situation death is coming for them they will not avoid it and we should mention that i mean if you haven't seen it go fucking watch it but this is a movie where we start out with seven people and they get plane crash in the Alaskan wilderness and one by one, they die off. Like that's just the movie that, that there's no, no one survives. There's no, you know, like it, the they just one by one, they just all fucking die. And what we get, cause this movie is two hours long. It's a half hour longer than it should be for its genre. Right. And what we get is we get these, incredible moments where these men learn how to die and they approach death in different ways right and the different ways that death comes for us right sometimes death comes unexpectedly and uh sometimes we're scared when we die sometimes we don't even know what's happening when we die sometimes we do know what's happening and we face it with resignation like frank grillo's character 
sometimes we rage against the dying of the light. These, like Liam Neeson does at the end of the movie. These are all different ways of approaching death, and not necessarily ways of approaching death, but approach, but different ways that death approaches us. Right? This is this is seven ways to die. Right? It, it is 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 should be a subtitle for this movie because that's essentially what it is, and we get a very intense kind of examination. The camera pays attention to these characters and to what they're thinking and what they're doing while they are confronting death. And there's no right answer, right? There's no right answer. There's no, you know, I I heard a lot of people say like, oh, this is like an atheist movie because he's at the end of it, he's like, fuck God or whatever. And it's like, no, this is not pro or anti anything. This is a cold eyed a a a cold look a clear-eyed look at exactly what it is like to face death and part of facing death is getting religion on your deathbed part of it is uh essentially giving yourself up to it like i said like frank grillo's character part of death is being caught by accident like it's it's you know god what a movie man what an incredible movie yeah, I mean, and the movie doesn't even try to make you feel better about anything. Right. Like, because there's nothing yeah. to feel better about. Death is coming for all of us. Everybody who's listening to this, like, it's coming, you know? The worst part of the whole movie to me is when it's down to those two and he just fucking drowns. Yeah. Like, it's. He just drowns. And when that happens, you're like, fuck, like this movie just doesn't give a shit about how you feel. Right. It's not even trying to, 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 to help you. It's not even trying to fool you into thinking that, that Liam Neeson is going to escape or these were going to be the last two survivors and a helicopter was going to fly over. Right. It's like, no, none of that's happening. This motherfucker just drowned. Yeah. It reminds me of like, you know, because you keep wanting there to be like, I don't know about you, but like when I was watching and I kept wanting, not in the sense that I like, this was a criticism of the movie, but this is, you know, just how you respond to, you know, to stories and stuff. Like I kept like wanting there to be some kind of like uh, formalism to it, like some kind of like, here are the seven different ways you can die. And it's like, no, that's, that's not the point, right? Like this is, this this guy dies when he drowns because sometimes that's how you go right not not obviously you know drowning in a in a lake in, or a river with Liam Neeson trying to pull you back up but like you, you know the amount of people who die and then they are they die with their uh chest being compressed by a by a uh a, a what do you call it an EMT with their significant other kind of like screaming, help him, help him, help him or whatever. Like, do you know how many people die like that? A lot, right? That is a way that death approaches us sometimes. And there's not jack shit we can do about it, right? There's not jack shit Liam Neeson can do to save that guy at the end. His his foot is stuck in a rock, right? Like that shit happens. It happens hundreds of times a day, right? And like, that's it. There, there is no feeling better about it, right? There is no that people die like that, right? Uh, that when the guy is, is is peeing and he gets attacked by the wolves, you know, on watch or whatever. Sometimes you die and you don't even really know what's happening, right? Like you just boom, it just happens, and like that. That's one way that death happens. Like this is a movie about how death happens, and I don't know, man. Let's dive deeper into some of these deaths because I want to know which one, I don't know, impacted you the most. Which one stuck out to you uh, as as particularly powerful or particularly interesting? Yeah, I don't know. I like the, the uh, what is that guy's name? I, 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 sh- I just had the, uh, the, the cast list pulled up and now I don't. Was it, it's not Dormant Moroni, is it? Mm-hmm. It's, um, it is him? Wait, what well, depends. Which death are you talking about? He's in the movie. The one... Yeah, when he's crawling across the rope yeah, yeah, yeah. and it snaps. His death got me, especially with the daughter's hair like over his face, like that one was pretty bleak, 
but honestly, the drowning one, because it felt the most nihilistic. Yeah. It, it, it felt the most empty, I guess. Like, Jesus Christ, we've witnessed what's going on for an hour and 45 minutes, and, and this happens. Like, it, it felt the most empty. Yeah. What about you? I mean, dude, I'm going to be honest, man. I feel like I... I feel like each one of them was so powerful in their own way, right? Like, I mean, you know, Frank Grillo has a really interesting death because his death is kind of, is kind of the stereotypical quote unquote good death, right? Which is, which is, I'm looking at this, uh, you know, beautiful vista. I've accepted the fact that I'm going to die you know, like it's it, it's very uh, it's what people think of, right? It's like it like it it feels like the closest thing the movie has to a happy ending, you know, because it's like, well, that's a, you know, that's not a bad death, right? Uh, but what makes that drowning scene so powerful is the fact that the the implication is, well, not everybody has a chance to do that. Right. Like, <laughs> in fact, most people don't. Right. Like everybody like uh, when I when I die, I'm just going to look death in the face and accept it and whatever. And it's like, well, yeah, but most people don't get that chance. Right. Most people death is random and it, it's it's even awkward. I know a guy who used to used to date my cousin and he was basically just like a member of the family for a few years that they dated. And his dad slipped in the fucking bathroom after getting out of the shower and hid his head on the sink and fucking died. And like, I've heard of people like dying with, uh, you know, getting choking on a pretzel and, and the, the person not knowing how to, you know, their family member not knowing how to do the Heimlich maneuver properly and them just dying right there. Like sometimes death is unexpected and awkward and, like you can't even tell anybody about that. Like it's not even like a noble death or whatever. It's not like a, it's like, yeah, my aunt, she or my mom, she choked on a pretzel and she died. It it, it was a freak accident and it was, it was horrible. You know, like, hey man, that's how death comes sometimes. And it's it's, it seemed like every each and every individual death was meaningful in its own way not meaningful in the sense of like some grand meaning but in the sense that it represented the way that we as human beings face death and the way that death comes for us and like you know the the guy who died in the snow the black guy who who has the hypoxia and just kind of drifts off right that's that's how most people in like hospice care die right like it's it's uh you know, or, or if you have cancer or whatever, that's probably how you die, right? Like, you don't really know what's going on, and then before you know it, you're dead, and your family members are upset, and they're mourning. That's how my father died, right? But, he, you know, he didn't know what was going on, but it was an effective moment for, for us who were left behind. And, you know, each, it's just each and every one, man, just speaks to how, how, how death comes for us, and how we face death. And it, it and it, it's, it's it's just treated in a really profound way because it is it's the ultimate fate right we're all going to experience it we're all dreading it to some degree or another but we all will experience it someday it's the only universal human experience and it's just god damn man what a movie and you know aside from all that shit this makes it sound like it's a slog or it's like some kind of serious movie it's not this movie's fucking fun this is a fun action movie too alongside of all that but it just deals with the consequences of action movies, right? What happens in action movies? People either die or they try not to die in various acrobatic ways, right? And this movie confronts the ultimate fate of the action movie, the what happens when the villain is defeated or when the hero wins. What is he winning? What is he escaping from? It's death. And this is an action movie that looks death straight in the face and says, how do we face it? How does it come for us? This is how it does. And we're going to look at it in an unflinching manner. And it, it's, it's great, man. This, this is a great, great, great movie. I cannot, I don't know, man, I, it, this, this really affected me, man. I, you know, this is, I know I'm talking for a long time, but like, 
I read, I was reading just everything I could about it last night after I watched it. Roger Ebert left a screening uh, that he was going to after The Grey. You know, like he would go to the theaters and they would screen like three films in a row or whatever. He left the the second movie that they did because he could not stop thinking about The Grey because it affected him on such a deep level. And this is the kind of movie that is, man. I, I literally, last night going into it, I thought it was the Liam Neeson Wolf movie. And it's so much more than that, you know? I do agree it's more than that. And I agree with everything you said, but man, are you are you just trying to make us all sad? <laughs> is that was that your that's your fucking goal here, man? <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it, but to even to even say that it's sad, it's like it's not even so much sad in the movie, is like it's inevitable. Like it, 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 it is 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 like is the star sad? Is the universe sad? Like no, it's just just the way things are, you know. It's uh, well, clearly death clearly death is indifferent as is the universe that was referring to what you were telling us all um, <laughs> <Yeah>, i know <laughs> so uh no man i i agree i think that you know a couple of years before that was it 2010 so maybe just one year before i believe was when no country for all men came out or was that 2008 uh no country is 2007 2007 okay so i was wrong on both counts that was an interesting to me that was an interesting portrayal of death mm. like and that one really resonated with me. But then when this movie came along, it was done in a much more like humanizing manner. I don't want to say, yeah. I can't think of a, like, like, like a simpler way. Um, it's like, opposed to how no country did it. Yeah. No, I, it's not like a metaphysical examination of death, right? It's not like, uh, no, I know exactly what you're saying. It's not about the concept of death. It is about the reality of it. Right. Yeah. Like it's about what it's, what is it like? What does it smell like? What does it feel like? What does it look like? What does it sound like? Right? Like this is a movie about that. You know, it, it's not about death in some kind of bullshit metaphorical way. It's about the reality of it. You know. So no, I, I, I like that distinction. I know exactly what you mean. And and you know, there's a post credit scene that literally is like half a second, mm-hmm. and a lot of people may not even know that because it's literally at the very end. Yeah. But it's interesting. I'm not a big fan of it. I typically don't like post credit scenes, but it's interesting because it was just this last gut punch of like, yeah, Liam Neeson's dead, but this wolf isn't. <laughs> like, right. like uh, it's it's alive. Uh, it's going to survive, and Liam Neeson is destroyed because everyone dies, and uh, and it keeps going. And I, I kind of like that. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's. Yeah, the, the the end credit scene did feel kind of pointless to me, and kind of like I was kind of just like, but why? It ended so perfectly. Why? Why even have, you know, uh, sixteen frames of footage there? You know, like I, you know, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, apparently they even shot the fight scene and everything, and Joe Carnahan had to be, you know, I personally I think this is a mark against him, but you know, I mean, there's no. He listened to his editor, but the editor said, "Like, no, you you can't show the fight scene. You have to end the movie like as he is facing death with nobility for the last time." You know, and yeah, you can't you can't turn this into like the edge. Like, we don't like they fought the grizzly in that, which is fine. It worked for the movie. We don't need to see Liam Neeson fighting this war. Right. That would have completely threw everything off. Right. That's not the point. The point is not. He tr- like you said at the beginning, he tricks you. He tricks you into thinking this is a movie about Liam Neeson fighting wolves, and it's like, nah, man, this is a movie about death. And it's, um, I don't know, man. And like, I mean, and I know, I like, I, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm not gonna say you should get into it or whatever, but like, like, or, or even prod, I don't even mean this as like a prompt for you to get into it, but like, I know you have dealt with death on an intimate level. And I know I have, I mean, uh, in a variety of ways, like I, you know, like I said, my dad died that way, but also like as a nurse, like I, I've, I've been confronted with death on a lot of different occasions. I've seen people die uh, like the river death where it's unexpected and people are trying to save you, but they can't, you know, I've seen death that way. I've seen death, the, uh, the Frank Grillo way, you know, where you, I mean, I've even been responsible for people's death, not in like an accidental malpractice way, but in like a, 
you know, the doctor says, you know, uh, they can have this much morphine and they're in pain. And it's like, why? Well, I, I know this is going to be the one that, that does them in, you know, and it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, I, I understand what you're saying. Like, I know, I know what you're saying earlier about being sad or whatever. And it's like, it is sad, but it's also, it's it, like, it just is right. Like it just is, this is, this, this is a fact of human existence. And the, the, the protagonist of this movie has to learn how to face death, right? Because he is going to kill himself at the beginning of that movie and he can't fucking do it. Right. For some people they can, right. But he can't fucking do it for whatever reason. He can't do it. He cannot face death that way. He can't pull that trigger. And the, the way that he is choosing to face death is with the fucking liquor bottles in his, you know, in his knuckles and, you know, fighting, you know, raging against the dying of the light, to quote the Dylan Thomas poem. And, you know, that's, that's what Liam Neeson has to learn through this movie, is how to face death with nobility, as opposed to offing yourself with your rifle on your knees in the snow, right? And, hey, some people can do that. Some people choose to approach death that way, but, you know, not this protagonist. And the fact that he can't do it because of his relation, like his wife telling him to not be afraid, right? Don't be afraid. Like some people are afraid of death, but don't be afraid. That's no way to handle it. And his dad, you know, with that poem, like suicide would not have worked for him. He couldn't do it. That would have been an ignoble uh, demeaning death for him because of the person that he is, the personality that he is, the person he is because of the relationships that he's had in his life. And dude, I don't know, man. I could talk about this movie for hours. It, it's just, it's such a powerful movie and such a, just a realistic portrayal of exactly what it's like when the light goes out of someone's eyes. This is exactly what it is like. And it, it is, I don't know, man. It's just, it's just an incredible movie. Well, there you have it, guys. I wanted to have a fun conversation about <laughs> Joe Carnahan and just talk about how he's chaos and it's fun and violent and gritty. And Jacob had different plans. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, um, I don't know, man. This movie really affected me. And, uh, it takes, uh, it, as I get older, it takes more and more to, uh, you know, really, uh, you know, get get deep down in the crevices of my cold black heart, and uh, this did it, man. This is this is a hell of a fucking movie. Well, I'll tell you, I really wanted to talk about Carnahan. I'm glad we did, and it makes me even more glad that I was the reason that your heart grew in size, and then you cried. Look, I don't want to. <laughs> you know, when you say it, it sounds like an insult. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna get a text. No, from it's it's like I'm gonna get a text from it's you like later. The Grinch. It's like, what are you doing? What are you you're crying? You're watching another movie and you're crying. That that might happen. Maybe not later today, but it will happen <laughs> at some point. But yeah, no, man. I mean, in all honesty, Carnahan what is he did something special with the gray. I think Narc is is significantly better than I feel like a lot of people give it credit for. Mm. And uh and, you know, I can't say his career is on an upward trajectory as much as I enjoyed Cop Shot, but I hope he can kind of find a groove, especially with him and Frank Grillo producing things now. I hope he can kind of find a groove and get back into, you know, kind of his lane and do stuff he wants to do instead of stuff that he's being forced to do because it's the only way he can get the job. So. Yeah, it's hard not to feel. I mean, I like Carnahan. I think he's clearly, you know, a good director. But it's also hard not to feel a little bit of disappointment when thinking about his career because it's like, dude, you're you're capable of something like The Gray. Like, someone made that movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you were the guy in charge of that movie, making all the decisions. You know, turning it into what it was. Like, this is not like a Casablanca situation where it's like you know uh, it's like a, uh, a by committee or whatever you know like this is 
I don't know, man. Like, I can't like uh, Megan Ellison or somebody just give him like ten million dollars to make like a relatively low budget action movie or something, you know, to like whatever the fuck he wants to do. I don't know. It's just hard not to be a little disappointed with with how his career has gone. Not, and it may not be through any fault of his own. You know what I mean? Sometimes just how that's just how it fucking goes. I would have to imagine that a lot of this is his own fault. He strikes me as like a hard headed type guy, mm. like this my way or no way kind of thing. And I, and I understand that if you don't want to compromise your vision. Sure. So, yeah. And there, yeah, there's, there's, and there's consequences to that, obviously, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I just, uh, I know that I, I like him. I, I'm curious to see what he does next, but at least we can always go back and rewatch movies like this. And I, and I still ride pretty hard for Smoke and Aces as well as just a, a super fun, violent, chaotic shoot 'em up. So, yeah, I don't know. And I, I will say just just, you know, vulgar tourism. It's fun to talk about these directors and kind of separate the wheat from the chaff and, and you know, all that. But like, guys, don't be sleeping on the gray. I mean, if you haven't seen it, you know, obviously watch it. Or if you haven't seen it in a while, this is, you know, <laughs> This movie deserves to be like on the the sight and sound list in ten years. Like this shit is, it really truly is. Uh, I feel like a forgotten classic at this point. Even though, like the people have seen it, liked it. Like I, this is a much better movie than it's ever gotten credit for. Like it is, it is really something special. Don't don't sleep on this movie. Yeah, I I agree with all of that. So um, anyway, uh. Do you have anything to add uh, that's not depressing? Oh, that's not depressing. Oh, no. No, I don't think so. <laughs> Guys, hit us up on Twitter, at Silver Video. You can also email us. All this is in the show notes as well. Uh, wherever you listen, please rate and review uh, so we can get that algorithm going. You can follow us on Instagram, Silver Screen Video Podcast. Uh, at this point, our top 10 of 2022, or 2021, excuse me, has been out for a few weeks. So make sure you go back and check that out if you haven't. But aside from that, uh, yeah, yeah, we enjoyed this. This is the first entry into our, our vulgar auteurist thing. There will be more. I don't know how many Jacob's going to end up picking, but I will pick some. Uh, well, so. it's first of all, it's absolutely not our first entry. Uh, we did an episode on it. I know <laughs> Zack Snyder, but like this is the first time we're actually going because we've talked about doing it for a whole month or something. I can't. I think my the next director I'm picking picking is not a vulgar tourist, but my one after that probably maybe will be. But who knows? Yeah. So basically, in no way, shape, or form is this our first one. Uh. <laughs> also, in no way, shape, or form is this the start of a series. So <laughs> so really, there was no point in you mentioning any of that. Uh, sometimes it's needed. I would rather talk about that than someone dying. Uh, so <laughs> uh, Yeah, you're just trying to cover for my... Uh, yeah. <laughs> Guys, hope you enjoyed this episode, and uh, go watch these movies if you haven't. But we will see you next week at the Silver Screen Video.